The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 86. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Shush. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today we're discussing the fourth Doctor story, The Ark in Space. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? So, uh, The Ark in Space. This was, a, uh, like I said, a fourth Doctor story. It aired in uh, January of 1975, originally. Um, it's a four-episode serial with uh, Tom Baker, and his companions are uh, Sarah Jane and Harry Sullivan. And uh, the, the... Sarah Jane Smith. Sarah Jane Smith, yes. Sorry, uh, but if I'm giving Harry his last name, I should give Sarah Jane her last name. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so... Uh, and it's by Robert Holmes, right? Written by Robert Holmes, and in fact, it had uh, apparently it had a very difficult uh, script process, uh, shall we say, uh, where there were a couple different writers um, who had a, a, originally tried original, to write a story. Yeah, it was originally uh, commissioned by to be written by John Lucarati, who was an author that contributed several scripts during the William Hartnell era. But um, the series had a new showrunner, Philip Hinchcliffe, and uh, and Robert Holmes at this point was the script editor. And Hinchcliffe and Holmes wanted a kind of darker storytelling, and they kind of ushered in in the in in the Tom Baker period, in the early Tom Baker period, a kind of gothic vibe into the show, and they wanted that here. And so Robert Holmes ended up rewriting uh, Lucarati's script so significantly. I think Lucarati may have even been unavailable. I think he may have been on vacation or well, something. And The interesting thing about uh-huh. Lucarati is that because he, he actually lived on a boat in the Mediterranean and there was a postal mm-hmm. strike uh, on Corsica, so he was incommunicado, which is so funny for uh, those of us who live in the internet age now, just to think of like how yeah. you could be completely cut off from civilization by a postal strike on Corsica. Uh, yeah. No, you know, now we just email yeah. back and forth. So it's kind of funny. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Robert Holmes rewrote the script so much that he ended up being uh, given the screen credit for it instead of Lucarati. So and, and this um, I read was it's one of the most popular stories uh, of Doctor mm-hmm. Who ever. Um, it was cited by both Russell T. Davies and Stephen Moffat. Uh, uh, as among their favorites, among their best, uh, the best stories. And Peter Capaldi. And, and Peter mm-hmm. Capaldi. Uh, so what is your take on it, uh, uh, both of you? Uh, Father Corey, why don't you say, like, what is, like, how, how do you rank this? Uh, in, well, I, in well I, it's always been one that I've, I've personally liked, and I, I think part of it is you really, this is the, of course, this is the second episode for Tom Baker. This After is, Robot. Yeah, it's his first full episode where he you know post regeneration episode and you really see the 
interaction between Sarah Jane and Tom Baker coming to strength. I mean, this is this is their interaction at their fullest. Uh, Ian, of course, or, or, or sorry, uh, Harry. Harry. <laughs> yeah. Ian Harry. is the actor's name. Harry. He brings in so much, um, just smart aleck almost you know just right. kind of witticisms with the doctor and they're trading barbs back and forth and and uh, he's really likable yeah oh yeah and you know just there, there's so much of, of uh again sarah jane in this episode really shows up too you know there's a couple of scenes where she really you know whether humorous or really shines in her own right how about mm -hmm. how about for you jimmy the, the this episode yeah, I like it. It's not it necessarily, it's not one of the ones for me that is at the very top, but um, even of the Tom Baker era, I would look at other things like the Talons of Wang Chiang, for example, for that. But this is a very good episode. Uh, Tom Baker really blooms in this, as do um, the actors playing Sarah Jane and Harry. We've got lots of nice interaction with them. They, uh, in fact, the first of the four episodes consists principally just of the three of them wandering around a space station. Right. And it's it, it does not bore you. It's mm -hmm. it's fascinating just watching them explore this environment and interact with each other. Then we as the story develops, we have a scary monster and uh you know effective body horror, even though it involves bubble wrap. <laughs> and um and we have these mythic themes because as the title tells you Ark in Space, we have a, a kind of updating of Noah's Ark, where the world has experienced a catastrophe that wiped out all human life, and here are the last survivors ready to repopulate the Earth. And so it's drawing on, you know, primordial uh, story themes that have been part of all kinds of different world cultures. And so it's a very deep presentation of those themes. And we have interesting soaring rhetoric you know we have a message from the former head minister of the earth uh you know recording talking to the survivors you know thousands of years later about their bold venture to preserve humanity on earth and it's uh it's just a really nice combination of elements yeah we should probably talk a little bit about the the uh, the, the story the the plot of the story so the again we talk about the this is the second of the Fourth Doctor stories. They've uh, Harry and the Doctor and Sarah Jane land on a space station uh, orbiting Earth in the far distant future. Um, it seems to be deserted. Uh, there's uh, automated systems, you know, weapon system, you know, a guard system, security system. Uh, it looks like something has been uh, sabotaged by somebody. Sarah Jane ends up in peril a couple of times, and and, and the Doctor and Harry have to uh, save her. Um, it turns out that this space station is, like you said, an ark carrying uh, hundreds, uh, I think maybe in thousands of of people who are who've been selected uh, to be on the, on board because of particular skills and traits uh, to repopulate humanity, as well as animals and plants and all the other things necessary. Because solar flares were going to ravage the surface of the Earth, and so they were set to re revive uh, from suspended animation. 5,000 years later, that's when they figured it would be uh, habitable again. Uh, but because of this, some kind of sabotage, it's been 10,000 years, right? Was it 
Mm-hmm. Was it five thousand, ten thousand, or was it even shorter than that? I I, I think they overslept by ten thousand, so it's even longer. Okay. Right. And in some of in some of the media, they establish it's like in uh, sixteen thousand something yep. AD. Right, because the, yeah. the 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 ark launched in the thirtieth century. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it turns out that there are well, these uh, space wasps that have uh, landed on board that have um, uh, the Weirin. The Weirin, yes, and they they they're like some of some, actually there's some interesting Earth uh, insects that. They, they kind of take over, the, they're like parasitic. They take over the host and they use it both mm-hmm. as uh, food, but also they, they come, like there's this uh, parasite uh, that, that takes over ants. This is a real thing mm-hmm. that then pilots the ant to, to, uh, to do certain tasks for the colony of the pa- parasites. It's really kind of fascinating. Yep. Um, yeah, ap- apparently Robert Holmes really let his inner entomologist <laughs> off the leash in this. And, and we get a number of entomology terms that they just drop without explaining. Like um, th- at one point, the doctor warns uh, Vira, the leader of the humans, that um, they don't have time to do a, pursue a certain plan because the the wasp uh, pupa are going to go full imago before they could finish this plan. And they don't even explain that imago is the entomological term for the adult stage mm. of a of, of, of an insect. Right, right. Yes, there's a, there's, there's a lot of that that drops in this, and you're kind of left to go look at it for yourself, which is fine. It treats, it treats the audience as intelligent and able to figure yeah. things out. So I, I always appreciate Today that. we have... Yeah, today we have Wikipedia and Google for that, but Robert Holmes did it without those tools. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> those so, archaic devices called books. <laughs> well, books. And yeah. You had to go to the library <laughs> Not, probably yep. to figure this yeah. stuff out. Non-volatile storage media. So the the way the episode or the, the serial begins, um, I, I had to think about how did Robot end? Because we sort of start with the, 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 the TARDIS landing on this station and Harry and Sarah Jane's kind of stumbling out of it, uh, you know, and, and the doctor kind of being annoyed at things. I'm trying to remember. What they- yeah. Basically, at the end of Robot, you know, they've dis- they've defeated the t- the uh, eponymous robot yeah. and they're getting into the TARDIS because Tom Baker wants to split. And he had been trying to split through the whole thing uh, until the robot plot ramped up. And uh, Harry and uh, Sarah Jane are going with him. And the brigadier tells Harry to stick close to the doctor, which they mention in this series. Um, And Harry, if I recall correctly, isn't really believing that the TARDIS is a space-time capsule. And so they plan on like a quick jaunt to the moon to prove it to him. And apparently in an unfilmed scene between the episodes, Harry accidentally did something to the TARDIS's control that threw them way off course. Yeah, the doctor is is extremely upset with Harry. Uh, he says, you're yep. a clumsy, ham-fisted idiot. That's <laughs> one of the, the <laughs> yeah. doctor's first lines <laughs> to Harry. I mean, he is, he's very testy in, in this episode. Um, you know, when he also, you, Sarah Jane's trying to get his attention to something, and he's just like, and he doesn't even turn around. Not now, Sarah Jane, you Sarah. And he's like, wow, like he just won't turn around. And of course, something bad happens because he won't pay attention. 
Exactly. Yeah. And we can also detect, you know, writing here or at least ad living here that's much more Tom Baker than John Pertwee. He has, even though John Pertwee had a kind of aristocratic attitude and could be condescending, you wouldn't get lines that are just over the top like some of the ones Tom Baker uses here, where at one point he's telling, I think it's Harry, your mind is beginning to work. <laughs> it's entirely due to my influence. You mustn't take any credit. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was there's the yeah the 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 new who arrogance that we sometimes see pop up yeah. uh, in in yeah. classic who and and flashes of it like that especially over the top things yeah. can work but when it's a constant diet of it it becomes great right yep uh, I liked it. it's the like the the dialogue at the very beginning of this is very clever I mean this when they come out into this uh, airless space station the uh, the uh, the life support is basically off and. Um, you know, Harry is kind of blown away by the TARDIS. He's, he's, he says, that would be a, you could sell that thing, Doctor, referring to the TARDIS. And the doctor's like, what? Jolly useful in Trafalgar Square. I mean, hundreds of bobbies hiding inside it. <laughs> it's like this. <laughs> and, and Sarah's just like, stop burbling, Harry. It's like, oh, sorry, shock, I suppose. I mean, well, just you got like, to imagine, too, though, he, he gets into this machine that he thinks is just a, a cabinet. And there's all these fan, you know, this incredible high tech device, and he starts just, you know, tweaking device, tweaking levers or dials or whatever. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, it, it kind of goes back to the the test of guyness joke, you know, how to how to know if you're a guy. Um, what do you do if an alien comes down and gives you a device that will cure all disease, war, and hatred forever? Do you a give it to the president of the United States, B, give it to the president of the United Nations, or C, take it apart. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> you, fiddle, you fiddle with it. You take it apart. How does it work? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, that's my my son is one of those. He's constantly taking my stuff apart. Stop touching that. Um, yeah. So they, they're, uh, they're in the 30th century on board this very uh, advanced technology oh. space station. Oh. That has post 30th century now. Right. Well, but it originated in the 30th century, I think you said. Yeah. Um, that contains advanced technology like reel to reel tape and microfilm. <laughs> Which I just, yeah. I mean, of course, I mean, this is filmed in 1975. They have to use what they have. But I just, I always love that, that juxtaposition of, um, oh, there was a great blog called Paleo Futurism, uh, the, mm -hmm. the idea of what the future looked like from the past. And, uh, and that's kind of what we have here. Um, so we have uh, Sarah Jane is also gets into the act of being really kind of uh, feisty with Harry because uh, Harry has this funny habit of, well, being misogynistic, frankly, toward all the yeah. women. He calls uh, Vera, the leader of the of the Ark people, uh, uh, a funny bird. And, and, and he keeps calling Sarah, Sarah Jane, keeps calling her old girl. He, like, yeah. I, that's not I don't view that as misogyny. That's just uh, that's just modes of speech. I well, mean, today, people are hypersensitive about that. But when he calls Sarah Jane old girl or even old thing. Yeah. I mean, he's using he's he's meaning to be endearing. Yep. And that's just that's a mode of speech from early 20th century Britain that you find in things like P.G. Woodhouse. And it's not meant to demean anybody. It's meant to be affectionate. I suppose. I mean, it's sort of out of fashion, shall we say, that if you if you were to go around calling uh, uh, women uh, old girl, um, 
you might it might be a little t- take oh. defense, I suppose. It, it, oh, sure. Today, yeah, people people are. I mean, fashions have changed in speech, and today that would be considered offensive. But it doesn't. I don't think it indicates a misogynistic attitude on Harry's part. Okay, I'll and it that. was even it was even out of fashion at that time. Yeah. Um, they make a point in the in robot that harry is a bit old is a bit traditional mm-hmm. whereas sarah jane is a feminist right and so and that plays into the dynamic of their relationship yeah and the other thing they, they really emphasize with harry is that he's a navy a navy surgeon and he's lieutenant surgeon uh, sullivan um and they almost overdo a little bit that the uh the naval terminology that he's always coming up with you know uh, you know, take you to the uh, the sick bay and the, the yep. you know, he uses terms and you're like, all right, Harry, you know, dial it back a bit. <laughs> he's like, but uh, but they, what they want to do is emphasize who who he is and that he's a navy man, and that's that's fine. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, so just to kind of you know look at the different aspects of this, um, Sarah, we have companion separation uh, early on. Sarah Jean mm-hmm. ends up locked in an airless room, gets knocked out. Um, they revive her, uh, give her brandy, which apparently the doctor does stock on the TARDIS. We've seen that over you know all you know many years, including most recently. Yep. Um, and John Pertwee certainly was. Yes, and, yeah. uh, <laughs> and uh, brandy is apparently the solution to when you're knocked out, you you, you drink brandy afterward. I guess sounds good to me. Well, but yeah, I'm all for and, that. And, and, and that was that was an idea that was around a lot in British culture oh, yeah. back into the 19th century. You see that in the Sherlock Holmes stories. Whenever anyone's knocked out, they revive them and give them brandy immediately. Right, right. Uh, even to colicky babies, I think was one of those things they used to do too. They'd rub it on the gums. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, I did like early. They, they're being uh, the Doctor and Harry are being shot at by this automated security system that the Doctor accidentally reactivates. And uh, he gets his hat shot. He gets his uh, scarf shortened by quite a bit by it. Um, and, and Harry's shoes are, are, are vaporized. And uh, so in order to, to get to a control to turn it off, they're hiding into this desk that's bolted to the floor. And I love the fact that the doctor uses the sonic screwdriver as a screwdriver. Yes. <laughs> he, like, mm-hmm. he removes yeah. the bolts he holding the screw something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, now that, okay, finally, we, after all this time, we've seen the stuff. Why is called a screwdriver? And, uh, uh, well, actually, we see that when it's first introduced in Patrick Troughton's era. The first thing he does with it is use it to levitate some screws out of their sockets. Right. And we, I remember, do you remember seeing that in War Games? Uh, he, he yeah. used that, that for that too. Um, and they, uh, although I have to, it was, it was such a funny image of the Doctor and Harry crouched under the desk, you know, kind of crawling across the floor with the desk uh, to, mm-hmm. to, to get to the. It was a very yep. uh, funny thing. And so, so um, they encounter these these inhabitants of the Ark, um, and it's very interesting. They, they um, the Holmes who wrote the script really wrote the Ark inhabitants as to be different. It's a you know, kind of emphasizing how different the, that futuristic society was, uh, mm-hmm. that roles in society were much more defined. You were much more placed into a niche. People were selected for particular abilities. You didn't just like, I want to be a doctor. And you just, if you could pass the test, you can become a doctor. That people were selected for things. And uh, Right. So Vira is a med tech, and she initially is very focused on medical stuff and doesn't really seem to care about anything else. And and the doctor and the companions notice that, and the doctor explains that, well, this 
thing, this task isn't part of her duties. So she, that's why she's ignoring it. And then later after Noah um, or Lazar to give his name that they mentioned entirely once right. um, uh, after Noah becomes part Weirin, he passes command to Vira and the doctor has to tell Vira You've been given command now. Your duties have expanded. Yes. Yes. Um, and it's very, the one of the things that really strikes me about it is, is this, that there's this, as part of the society is these people who are very, you know, focused and, and, and of course these are selected from the, the elites of that society. So they, they would mm -hmm. embody this most. And then, but Noah, when he wakes up, talks a, a, about um, the regressives. That these that the doctor and Harry and Sarah must be part of the regressives, and they don't go into this very much. But they 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 um they worry that you know the presence of the doctor and Harry and Sarah will pollute their their gene pool. And I'm thinking, are they afraid that the doctor and Harry and Sarah are going to start mating with people like all of a sudden? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they, they told you they're just travelers. They're passing through. That's not going to be. I don't think you know. It's uh it's not like space Tinder, uh, but uh. I don't know, whatever, but um, but this apparently there's this. They introduce this idea, but they don't explore it. I think, and maybe that's a, a yeah. thread that Holmes was going to expand on that he never got to. Well, and we actually learn more about that in subsequent episodes because this episode, by introducing the arc or Nerva Station as it's called, um, or Nerva Beacon as it's also called, it it's sort of the. We don't yet have a, an overarching theme or plot to a whole series like we do in New Who, but this comes close mm -hmm. uh, because the we have a series of stories that are connected based on the arc. So at the end of this story, they go down to Earth by Transmat to fix the Earth end of the Transmat system. And that leads to another adventure called the Centauran Experiment, where they meet um other humans who have crashed on earth from after having come from a space colony and they discuss in that uh the fact that while the people on the ark were in suspended animation sleeping out the solar flares other humans were out building a galactic empire and they're over half the galaxy now. And they kind of look down on the people who went into suspended animation instead of braving the galaxy. So we learn more about that society and what happened to it. We also end up meeting members of it later in New Who, like in uh, The Beast Below, we encounter one of the ships that left Earth because of the solar flares. And in Smile, the Peter Capaldi episode with the emoji robots, um, we meet a colony that was founded in the wake of that, and they wake up medtechs there, um, just like Vira. So this has echoes. But even in this uh, Tom Baker series, we after the Santaran experiment, they get diverted to Scaro for Genesis of the Daleks, and then they come back to the Ark at an earlier phase in its history for... Um, the for Revenge of the Cybermen. And so this is kind of a pivotal episode in that it sets up multiple stories that happen in that series. That's interesting. So a lot, so some of the, the themes that, that get introduced uh, get explored later, uh, as you said. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Um, so, that, so then I can put a pin into certain things. Go, okay, that's, uh, yep. I'm going to come back to that. Um, so I, that was one of my questions is how does this this 
storyline that uh, Earth was bombarded by solar flares and had to be abandoned for a period of time. How does that square with New Who? But I guess it does. I mean, um, it's mm-hmm. still they, they don't they don't contradict that at all, as far as I recall. Yeah, they mention and they even play around with it a little bit, referring to it as the Great Disaster. And I think during uh, I think it's during the Clara Oswald period. She sees a reference to the Great Disaster, or hears a reference to the Great Disaster, and doesn't know what it is. And the Doctor is kind of cagey about it, but that's what's being referred to. Oh, okay, all right, that's interesting. I think I also found interesting that uh, um, we had that uh, another instance of people in cryogenic suspension or suspended animation who oversleep. Uh, we talked about that most, you know, very recently with the Silorians, with the, with the mm-hmm. third Doctor, mm-hmm. and we're doing yeah. it again. And that seems to be a bit of a a trope in in just in all of science fiction, not just Doctor Who. This idea of if you know if you go into suspended animation, uh, will you oversleep that suspension? Uh, you know, that, yeah, that, it's sort of a fear of that. Of, of well, you're sleeping you're, forever. you're relying on this equipment to work perfectly for the course of five thousand years, ten thousand years, whatever it is. Yeah. And putting your life completely in that, and of course, the fact is, anything human made can break down over the course of five, five thousand, ten thousand years. Your HAL nine thousand computer may decide to kill you, <laughs> or you might wake up on a planet of the apes. Right. Yep. Uh, Star Trek did, did numerous episodes like this, but in some ways, I think it almost goes back to the the Snow White uh, sort of myth, where you know Snow White is asleep and sleeps forever until. The, uh, the the prince comes to wake her up is that idea of you know you're 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 asleep you're there's uncertainty about your future and it's almost it's almost a, a, a fear of death at its root isn't it mm-hmm. you know, that, that... it it also uh, manifests in Rip Van Winkle where you mm-hmm. have Rip Van Winkle falls asleep for 20 years and when he wakes up, the American Revolution has happened and they're no longer British subjects. So you right. awaken in a very different society. Right. Right? It, 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 but I, I think it, I think there's that um, there's an element of like the fear of death and what awaits us on the other side. And mm-hmm. that idea mm-hmm. of you know when, when we die and we, we, we are presented with the afterlife. You know, what is it we're going to see? Because, you know, as, as Christians, as Catholics, we have a certain faith about what it is we're going to encounter, uh, the par- you know, paradise, or at least our, mm-hmm. our judgment, and then hopefully paradise. Um, and, but there's that uncertainty that, that, that is, I think, in the bones of humanity uh, that goes all to our earliest days about that. Well, that's, and, that's, and that's why I think there's a lot of people who want to see something like cryogenic suspension, uh, developed because to avoid death to avoid death exactly that because you know you hear stories of people that they want their you know after they die they want to have their body frozen so that you know a hundred years from now when they've developed a cure for cancer or whatever it is that killed them they could be brought back and revitalized and you know live on forever right type of deal uh in fact the uh re- the remake or the the, the hbo series westworld um uh, apart from the prurient aspects but it turns out that the fundamental i'll be spoiler free here but the fundamental question is is you know it's both it's it's partly about the the nature of of consciousness and of what it what it means to be a person can you be an artificial artificially created person uh but there's also questions related to um 
uh, mortality and and mm-hmm. becoming immortal if you if you can move your consciousness into an immortal body and living forever and that that is a like I said this is a a very present question and, and problem for people today because they are they, there is a a lack of belief or faith in an, in a life after death uh, mm-hmm. and a fear of oblivion essentially which is right sort of manifested in something like this so I find it, it's very interesting to see this kind of played out uh, again in the in this story of Doctor Who. One of the ways that um, you mentioned, uh, Dom, how Holmes writes these characters to be very different than us as a way of showing how society's progressed. And uh, one of the ways he does that is, you know, like a lot of kind of antiseptic futures, people have very understated emotions. Mm -hmm. And, And when Vira mentions that they have that their leader whose real name is Lazar um they nevertheless called him Noah as an amusement right right and and it's like they you can't imagine any of these people you know having a belly laugh <laughs> exactly. Harry, Harry Harry has to explain to Vira that an amusement is like oh you mean a joke yeah and she's confused by that <laughs> so apparently they they only experience mild amusement in the future oh that just sounds i don't want to live in the future then no <laughs> um, sounds tedious yes it does so um the interesting thing so um there are themes of sacrifice in in this mm-hmm. um noah gets uh Infected. There, there are two ways that the bugs, uh, these the Wirren, um, take over. They can either, um, in, so, in a sort of impregnate a person with larva, and take them over from the inside and absorb their uh, their knowledge. Um, or there's it seems to be this other way where they just by touch uh, a lar- mm-hmm. one of the larva stage can touch someone and infect them. And this is what happens to Noah, and it begins to. The bubble wrap special effect begins to take over his body and his mind, um, and mm-hmm. this and this is this you see it play out throughout the episode. Points at which Noah is doing the bidding of the Wirren, and points at which he regains control and tries to save his people. And in the end, you know, he he actually sacrifices his own life to save his people. Yeah. And it's I mean, it's even even though he's gone full Imago at that point. Right, right. Yeah. He's, he's the bug. I mean, he's and they do this that that old time special effect where they kind of uh, fade in and out his image over the image of the bug. So you get so you know what you're seeing is this mm, bug is, that's is him. him. Um, and, and so there's that back and forth. Uh, and so he, he but he sacrifices himself. And, and in fact, I like the fact that, again, layers upon layers in this story, is the reason that the Wirren have attacked his station is because they were displaced from their own home uh, in Alpha Centauri. Um, or Andromeda. I'm sorry, Andromeda, by a colony of humans who went out there and displaced them from their colony. So they came to Earth, found Nerva Station, and took over there, uh, sort of. Yeah, and that's that's typical Holmes of trying to humanize the monsters and make them make the situation more complex. They're not just baddies. They are baddies, uh, but they have understandable motives, uh, not just to 
have kind of justice by getting a home from humans since their home was taken away, but also other motives. They're looking to advance themselves because they're not a technological species and we are. And so the plan is by absorbing these humans in the ark, they're going to leap in one generation mm -hmm. uh, to being an advanced technological society. Right, right. Um now, you might wonder, why do they care if they can fly through space on their own? But apparently they do. There seems mm -hmm. to be a lot of species in, in the Doctor Who universe that can travel through space without spaceships. It's a, kind of an interesting uh, idea that they've, that they've kind of used over and over. Um, mm -hmm. One thing we should mention is, and we've alluded to it, but... This is a besides being a classic story, this is also a story that's a classic example of what we would consider bad special effects. Oh, yes. Um, because <laughs> <You think? laughs> uh, not not just the energy blasts that they use in this show, but in particular, the 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 pupe, the larval stage, even for its time, Wiren. it was bad special effects. Yeah. Well, yeah. So basically you have at the, when, when the Weirin are at their grub stage, what you have is basically a stage hand wrapped in bubble wrap. <laughs> it looks like a burrito trying to sleep, slink across the floor. Yeah. So and, and weird. the, and the bubble wrap has just been like lightly spray painted green mm -hmm. and it's not even completely spray painted. You can see transparent parts of it. And so it's really cheesy, but it still manages to be effective body horror. I, I, I remember uh, bubble wrap in the 70s being a kind of new thing. And mm -hmm. I, I looked it up and apparently it was introduced in 1957, but I don't think it became omnipresent at that time. Okay. I think that was really in the 70s. And so I think that the producers were thinking we could slide this bubble wrap past people because they may not know exactly what it is. Well, they had a couple of things like that, like the, uh, the slime trail going from the air vent across the floor to the ominously empty cryo chamber that the poor fellow yeah. Dune was in um, that wasn't slime. Like they didn't use any, any kind of actual gel. It was like plastic wrap just laid on the floor. And I'm like, yeah. why don't you just make slime? You know, just like it's a, a special effects guy worth the salt, even in 1975 could make slime and just smear it on the floor. Also, all the holes in the floor that are meant to convey, like, metal grating are just painted on. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and the uh, the creature apparently could travel through grating without being, like, Swiss cheesed. You know, exactly. Like that, or, or without grated harming cheese. the grating or anything, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, uh, the special effects were was not the high point uh, in this one. Um, I, I, I had, there was a couple of uh, funny moments. Um, Sarah... Sarah Jane had to snake a, a cable through this very small conduit and uh, into the air duct. <laughs> yes, yep. she had to crawl through an air duct. Another trope. Uh, and she kind of gets stuck, and the doctor, in order to to get her unstuck, starts prov intentionally provoking her, uh, like yeah. goading her, and it was just so yep. funny. Uh, and she got she got so mad at him uh, when she when she got unstuck. Oh, yeah. It, it, up to that point, everyone else had been talking to her on the intercom and saying, OK, you can do it. You can do it. They'd been encouraging. And yep. she was like, no, I'm stuck. I can't go forward or back. And so th after he sees that the encouraging isn't working, the doctor says, you're so useless. I knew you would let us down. You, 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 we have this urgent crisis and you're in there blubbing. <laughs> 
And, <laughs> and she finally gets so mad she dislodges herself. <laughs> that was a that was a good moment. I like that. Was, I, I mean, I I really I understand, I understand why Sarah Jane was so popular among folks. I mean, she's just kind of got uh, a spark that uh, is fun. Well, it's you know another humorous moment I love is when she was on the the tranquilizer couch. You know, she was transported from that one couch to the other, and she's laying there. And, you know, there's this personal message pre-recorded from the high chancellor or whatever the title was. And it's, you know, welcome citizen. And she kind of just, you know, kind of druggily waves, you know, like, oh, hi. (laughs) Yeah, it was very interesting when she was in that, like, it was basically like a cryo chamber prep table or something like that. Right. And the message, it was very much phrased like she's about to die. They were trying to build up some, some drama there, like, you know, you're about to sacrifice everything for the sake of everyone, you know, and, and, and this idea. And, and so they, they, they effectively built up some drama in that moment. So that was very interesting. Um, a couple other uh, tropish moments. There was uh, that they they, they uh, revived two other technicians um, who were much more normal than Vera or Noah, I have to say. They they had much more mm-hmm. uh, normal reactions. They squabbled. Yes. Um, but there was a moment where, like, they heard this noise from outside. So, you know, the let's send the two guys who don't have guns to go investigate the noise. Yeah, yeah. Like, at this point, they had a couple of weapons. But no, no, send the guys without guns to go investigate. No, don't go out there. Um, yeah. So Again, yet another inc- trope. Yes. In- incidentally, the, it's classic Robert Holmes to have um, – to fo- have scenes focusing on like lower class characters, just ordinary workers who are then like commenting on their social situation and and kind of humorously squabbling a little bit, right. kind of kind of like R two D two and C three PO. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's a, that's a good uh, uh, analogy. Um, so by the end of this episode, there's there's this they're negotiating with the Warren. The Warren are really are really taking control of the station, and. Um, the, the doctor is essentially they're, they're able to kind of um, threaten the we're and and they're, they're in a sort of a standoff and the we're and say well, well you know um, how to put it there we'll let you go, we'll let you go but if you don't surrender uh, humans can re- require two mass pounds of oxygen a, a day to stay alive we can live for years without oxygen. So we're going to shut the mm-hmm. oxygen off if you don't surrender. But if you do surrender, we'll let you all go. And this is a classic, you know, are you really going to let us go? Or, um, and the doctor, mm-hmm. the doctor's like, no, I mean, we'd be sacrificing all the people who are still asleep because the wearing want them for food. I mean, and so there's that. And knowledge. Right. And there's that moral quandary of do we save ourselves at the expense of others? And of course, yeah. the doctor can't. And and this also explains. Now we mentioned we got companion separation actually within the first four minutes. Yeah. Um, we didn't get TARDIS separation in this episode, right. and so they and they but they they loop back on that and explain why they don't just all get in the TARDIS and flee. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because they would have to leave behind all the people who are still in cryo, and uh, they can't do that. Because they don't have time to wake them up and get them into the TARDIS. Right. Speaking of TARDIS separation, at the end of this episode, as you as you said earlier, they get in the transmat and and travel down to Earth. And I'm thinking, why not just take the TARDIS down? 
Like, why are you leaving the TARDIS behind? Because when you do that, now you are separated from the TARDIS. You've left it on the, on board this, this station. And if something goes wrong down there, you're going to be stuck. It, it didn't make I, sense. I, I, I think partly they're thinking, well, the, in terms of the characters, they're thinking this is going to be easy to fix. The doctor thinks this is not going to be a problem, and it's the most expeditious way to get down there. Just push the button and we're down there. Um, but uh, also a, a factor at this time may be that the TARDIS is still kind of unreliable in terms of mm. where it takes you. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, they might not actually end up on Earth uh, on the same day. Uh, now, yeah. Now, of course, I love the fact of, oh, you know, we can't – you know, we, we can send three people at a time via the transmat only if the, the base unit is working, you know, assuming meaning you can only send like one or two at a time. And then what does the doctor do? Him and his two companions and there's three of them beam down. <laughs> yeah. Very convenient. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was my issue with this is, OK, how do you know the pro I mean, what exactly is the problem? Why is it safe for you to go down there? Well, mm -hmm. he, he says, oh, the signal's faulty, probably the diode receptors. Probably. <laughs> yeah. I really, if I'm going to use a transmat, I really want to know it's going to work. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm with Dr. McCoy from Star Trek on this one. I don't want my uh, my uh, molecules beamed all over the uh, universe accidentally. Yeah, exactly. In, in in fact, if you watch the beginning of the Centauran experiment, they actually have problems with the transmat because the doctor gets down just fine, but Harry is phasing in and out at different locations and Sarah Jane ends up on her butt in the brush. <laughs> <laughs> doctor rushing in where cooler heads should prevail so uh anything else you want to say about this uh this episode um we do get a moment where the do where uh, vera, uh vera wants the doctor to or vira wants the doctor to help someone medically and he, he says my doctorate is purely honorary uh, mm. and, and so mm -hmm. are we settled on that it's just that a, a title is assumed for himself at this point Doctor is just something he, he kind of took uh, for himself? That isn't clear at this point. Um, it's it, it could mean it was an honorary title awarded by an institution. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. Rather than something he just chose. Um, one, a couple of things that I noted about this episode, um, at, at part of the solution or part of the standoff is they use, they have this... Uh, kind of shuttle that is on the space station that has its own power supply and they use that to electrify the station and that limits where the weirin are able to go now that they're hatching out in mass from these human-sized cocoons and and if you look at what the at what nerva beacon looks like it actually looks like a giant bug zapper in space. Yeah. And 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 that's I think may have been in Robert Holmes's mind. I looked it up and bug zappers started to be made in the 1930s. Mm -hmm. And so and you see, you know, contemporary technology um creeping its way into science fiction in interesting ways. Like Star Wars has a garbage masher scene mm -hmm. with trash compactors being a big thing in the 1970s. And I, I think maybe bug zappers were too. Mm -hmm. They were getting popular. And so, hey, let's make the, the space station a giant bug zapper to kill these wasps. <laughs> and I also think it was influenced by a movie from 1968. It's a classic of cheeseball science fiction movies called The Green Slime. Hmm. And it is about a space station that has 
becomes infested by these kind of blobs of green slime. They have eyes. They're green. They're about the same size as Weirin. And just like the Weirin have these long bug-like arms that are very slender, the green slime had tentacles that they would wave around <laughs> in a similar way. And they made the same kind of chittering, shrieking noise. Mm-hmm. You even in the green slime have series I'm sorry, have scenes of the green slime doing EVA walks on the outside of the space station, just like we see the Weirin doing EVA walks on the outside of Nervous Station. And I can't and 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 electricity as a way of killing the monsters is the solution there. And so um so I can't help but thinking that uh Robert Holmes ripped off the green slime. <laughs> At least, at least he did it uh, better. It wasn't as as bad. Uh, it's better. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, although the green slime does have its own amazing nineteen sixties uh, rock and roll theme about the green <laughs> slime screaming across your mind. Oh man, that just sounds so bad. <laughs> green slime. <laughs> that is, uh, if it's streaming on Netflix, I'll give it a hard miss. Uh, so <laughs> I bet there's a misty science mystery science theater episode out there somewhere. <laughs> oh, Actually, maybe. they 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 used the green slime for the proof of concept video for mystery okay. science theater. Oh, 3000. wow, that's awesome. So, uh, any last thoughts from you, uh, Father Corey? Or, or... Nope. okay, so uh, so I think that's it for uh, from us on uh, the Ark in space. Uh, it was again, like we said, it's a good, a good episode. The story is very good if the special effects are not as good. Um, but uh, so that's what did you think? Uh, let us know. Uh, tell us what you think of this fourth Doctor story called Ark in Space. You can watch it online on BritBox and uh, other other places online. Um, let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Leave us some feedback there. And share with others. Yes. Please share mm-hmm. uh, this episode or the Secrets of Doctor Who as a whole with other folks that you think might enjoy it. Uh, might enjoy this this you know romp into Classic Who. If you're not familiar with Classic Who or if it's something that you've always loved or, or in, in otherwise, you know, it might be a way for you to introduce someone to, to Classic Who. And, and uh, I have to let you know that we on our website, if you want to look at um, – episodes of classic who in order of their original production like so the first episode of season one and that sort of thing um i there's a page there if you go to the to uh, uh what do they call it sqpn.com slash tardis archive you will find uh, a listing of the all of the episodes of doctor who that we've talked about in order of the original airing of the of the episode as opposed to the order in which we've done these shows so that if you're looking for something in particular, you can find it there. Um, so like, if you want to see, you know, what we said about the Daleks, the episode, the Daleks in the first doctor's time, you just right there in the first doctor section. Right. So uh, yeah, please check that out and please share uh, the secrets of Dr. Who with others and uh, let them know uh, about what we're doing here. We want to kind of spread the word and, and, uh, I think we're having a lot of fun, and we're coming up to a new season of New Who with a new doctor and a new showrunner, uh, and we're, that's going to be a lot to talk about. Uh, and it's not very far from now. We're only a couple months away from that. Uh, it's going to be in October, so uh, you know, get people to, to to start listening, and to uh, it'll be it'll be a lot of fun. We we uh, we promise it's going to be good. So um, 
So also, so send us some feedback. You can send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. Uh, you can send us an audio file. We could play that on, on the podcast. Um, you can find links to all our personal social media our web and our websites and other things that we reference on our show notes on sqpn.com. Uh, we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 2006 Christmas special, The Runaway Bride, uh, featuring Donna Noble and the Tenth Doctor. Uh, until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. I'm glad to be here, and thank you. Uh, Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. Uh, and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. And remember, don't call Sarah Jane old girl or she'll spit in your eye. When will I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those.